Nice kitty, soft kitty, little ball of fur. Nice kitty, soft kitty, purr, purr, purr. Cinematic Fantastic. Atu, Verada, Nikto. I'll show you who I am and what I am. By a werewolf and lives, becomes a werewolf himself. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Hello and welcome to the Cinematic Fantastic Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Weatherford. And your other host, William Weatherford. Get ready for opinions, dad jokes, and bad jokes. As we watch and review sci-fi and fantasy films from the classics of yesteryear to the new favorites of today. Hello, listeners. Uh, We want to welcome you again to the Cinematic Fantastic Podcast. This is episode 16. And today we're covering... We're, f- we're finally out of the 1932's rut, and we're into 1933 with The Vampire Bat. It is not a rut. It is wonderful. It is wonderful. Just... <laughs> it is not a so rut. So in our last episode, we covered The Monster Walks and The Old Dark House. The former absolutely put me to sleep. It Well, if you could tell from the live reaction clips... I was just completely out of it. That's not <laughs> it's not me, it's the movie, so but anyway, the latter was really, really much better done. And then now we're gonna jump into a very classic vampire movie. Or rather it's not very well known, but it's very classic style. Would you say so? I would say yes. It reminds me of universal movies. Uh, like Dracula and Frankenstein, very much so. It takes from little bits from both of those. But it's not very well known, and I don't think it was like a huge hit. But The Vampire Bat uh, is decently done. I mean, they don't all have to be, you know, really huge movies to entertain. But I really like this one. This one, I'm glad. This one was pretty good. I mean, the camera work, absolutely superb. The acting, very, very superb. And many other moments as well in this movie that I was just really good. Especially with uh, the acting of Dwight Fry uh, from Dracula. Of course. Uh, he comes into this movie. Probably a bit of a typecasting because they went, Ooh, he played an insane man then. Let's let's pull him over for another insane man. In air quotes. I don't think Herman is, is insane. I think he's just a little odd. He's and odd and me- mentally challenged, let's say. Yeah, let's just say he's got some issues. We don't know exactly what they are. He's his own special case. He is, and he had the misfortune, you know, I think we'll talk about this more in the plot section, but he had the misfortune of being in this town where everybody just doesn't understand I mean, you know, he likes bats, but again, we'll talk about that soon. Um, and so, as you all know, uh, this movie is called The Vampire Bat, and um, vampire bats are a very unique animal upon which they're the monster that can both fly at you and run at you. Did you know that they can run, Father? I did not know that, They son. can literally hobble along, like, on their wings in order to run at you. It's kind of a unique, hilarious gait that's really funny. I think there might be some videos of that, but 
it's 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 really funny. I've seen lots of footage of bats, but specifically the obsession with vampire bats is because the, it shares the name with a with the blood sucking supernatural fiend. But honestly, vampire bats are cute. They they kind of are, and they're they really most... tiny, and they're also really fat, which is. The people who named this creature in uh, Latin taxonomy wanted to everyone to know because the taxonomy for it is Desmodus rotundus, and um, for those who don't know what rotund means, it means fat. Yes, and but I wonder if they get fat because of the blood. Yes, they do. They get really fat on blood, and generally they get fat, but they don't get fat on human blood. They get fat generally on cattle. Um, they live mostly in Latin America, South America, Mexico, places like that, and they feed on cattle. Well, they feed on many animals, but cattle is a generic animal. The way they feed on blood is they have an anticoagulant in their saliva that keeps the blood flowing, keeps it from, keeps the wound from closing up, so they can just they sit there and lap to their heart's content. But they are not uh, a threat to human beings at all. But tell that to the people in this town. Well, you could say that rarely they might contain rabies is something to be known. They can go after human blood, and it's very rare for them to have rabies. Even if they do have rabies, they will be, like, sick and all woozy from having it. So you'll probably easily be able to tell if... It, there's a rare rabies vampire bat. Okay, so listen to this. If actually... Uh, as as with most animals, humans are more a threat to the animal than the animals a threat to us. Because as of right now, a lot of bat species are having uh, some issues because of uh, fungus, and it's one of them called white nose disease or something like that. Where basically, I think one time, uh, William, we went to a cave a couple years ago, and they said that we can't touch anything, and we had to be, you know, there was like a steam water vapor kind of thing they uh put over us yeah to get rid of bacteria and like white nose yeah they didn't want us to bring in the fungus you know in to to kill the bats honestly bats do a lot of good i mean i know that i'm i sound like a bat apologist but honestly i i've grown to love them over the years i think you know everyone has a herman heart in their souls <laughs> somewhere but william bats soft bats not bad bats nice <laughs> If you see this movie, you know exactly what I'm they talking about. They are soft about. like cat. Soft like cat, exactly. All right, so uh, I know that we're getting on onto some interesting parts uh, of our own personal story and also our love for bats. And the, the general wonders of nature that they are. I mean, yes. did you know that there's a lot of social-like stuff that they can do? Like, apparently there's, like, regurgitation of blood when they like need it it's it's really complex you should go to the wikipedia they give it to the babies i think and they will bat, bats it's are like very a, social yeah, it's they like can, a social thing for vampire bats and it's really they, they take care of the babies they're uh, they're all like a you know how it takes a village to take care of children well you know bats operate that way they all take care of the babies and 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 honestly they get a bad rap honestly a bat's rap you mean uh, <laughs> but vampire oh, bats yeah. Fair are very interesting, and you go to the Wikipedia article, just the thousands of wonders of nature that are just waiting there. Yeah, I recommend There's it. There's just so much, even to just one animal. And then consider many species, and then, like, 
it just grows and there's just like so much i mean there's it's it's immense anyway all right so the vampire bat uh it was a it, it looks like a bigger picture like like something more expensive and i'll explain why but it was distributed by uh, majestic pictures which kind of like astor which uh did some previous work that we saw the monster think, walks yeah like astor it was it was considered a poverty row but the thing is that i was surprised at that because this did not look like a poverty row movie it was a uh, it's 1933 it's pre-code um and it was directed by Frank Strayer, the guy, same guy who did The Monster Walks. Um, I was almost surprised because it looks better. It's better directed. And it probably um, wasn't this, a B movie. I mean, the B movies, they, didn't, it is they, a do, B not, movie. they it do not is. get the budget. But the A movies, they do get the budget. So he probably got more budget with this one to work with. And if you don't give them budget, then they're generally more terrible because they don't have much to work with. Not very many time or resources. I'll tell you. I'll tell you why it looks like it was more expensive in just a moment. So uh, this movie stars, uh, and we'll talk about them in a minute. But it stars Lionel Atwell, and we will see him a couple more times as we go through. He actually is in a lot of Universal movies, which is interesting. Um, Faye Ray, which of course uh, we saw her in uh, the Most Dangerous Game, and uh, she was also anything else that she was in. Uh, she is also going to be in King Kong, which is going to be yes. very exciting to get to. That's her most famous role. Uh, I think any time that they give her any kind of honors or whatever, they always mention King Kong. Uh, Melvin Douglas is in this one. Of course, he was in The Old Dark House uh, in his mustachioed glory. Um, and, of course, uh, just that uh, lovely character actor, Dw- uh, Dwight Fry. We see him in a couple of you know uh, really good roles but honestly, his roles uh, later on for Universal get more like bit parts. You know, he's like he gets a couple lines and that's it. So it's a very it's a shame because he's such a great actor. And the th- and it wasn't he wasn't really well spent as an actor, I guess from from our perspective. We're we're always talking about our perspective. Yeah, his two greatest roles to me will always be Frankenstein. Uh, he played Fritz and uh, and also his role as Renfield. Those are just the best to me. Uh, that's what, why he sticks out in my mind. Uh, now he, here's the thing. Fay Ray and Lionel Atwell uh, are in other movies together. The previous year to this, they were in a movie called Dr. X, and you know, so they knew how to work well together. They also worked on a movie called Mystery of the Wax Museum for Warner Brothers. I've heard of that one. And while that movie was in post-production, while they were doing some of the you know effects and, and some of the different, different stuff on it, the movie was done. It was in the, is in the can, so to speak, as they say. You know, they put it in the little metal canister, round canister called "in the can." If you didn't know, so they uh, while they're waiting for that movie to be done and go to theaters, they're like, "Well, Lionel is not really doing anything, and Faye Ray's not doing anything." While they're waiting for this other movie to come on, let's pull them in. So they exploited the advanced press for the other two movies. Um, so they contracted them for what they would kind of call a quickie horror film because it was a it was a rush job um they were with you know they filmed really quick they didn't have a lot they didn't have a lot of special effects to do and they got it into production very quickly um they had lower overheads than the larger studios because they the larger studios were struggling during the great depression because they had to get funding and you know money was a, a premium there wasn't a lot a lot of it flowing their way the reason why it looked as good as it did is because they leased 
uh, James Whale's uh, cast-offs, his uh, stuff he wasn't using, like stuff from uh, the old Dark House interior sets and backlot sets left over from Frankenstein. That's why it looks so like a little German village, because they took it from Frankenstein. Uh, they, of course, they leased it, so he's like, here, you can use whatever you want. Also, I was absolutely correct uh, when me and William watched this. I said, I'll bet you 100 bucks that that's the Bronson Caves. I didn't know, I didn't know what the name of it was, but it's a cave that we're going to see a lot of this. Uh, as we talk about the plot later, there's a scene. Remember the scene uh, where Herman is running from uh, the villagers holding torches. Isn't it always a misunderstood creature or person running away from guys with torches? It's horrible. I guess it's evoking Frankenstein, I guess. It kind of is, but generally getting chased by an angry mob with torches is a pretty common device. Yeah, it it, it, it ends up being that way. Now, it also, uh, I recently saw a movie that I was watching that we're going to see later. It's called uh, Curse of the Werewolf, and there's lots of people chasing people down. I would say I remember Phantom of the Opera is where they're chasing uh, Eric through the streets, you know, they're ch- chasing him. 1925? Yeah, 1925. So that does predate Frankenstein. But I, I guess it's it's just something we we start seeing. But it, the most famous thing is, is Frankenstein. So everybody's going to think that it's a copy off of that, of course. All right. Um, the uh, like Br- Bronson Caves gets used a lot in a lot of horror movies and a lot of science fiction movies of the 50s. It's a good set. So, I mean, and it's got a nice little quarry as well. It does. And the, and the cave goes straight through. So they could, you know, definitely film both sides and the middle. And there's a little area in the middle where they could get their lighting equipment in there. Uh, Robot Monster is a movie in the 50s that is... Oh, boy. It, I, I'm telling you, it's it's rough. The 50s... Is gonna be very, very, very cheesy when we get to it. It's gonna be all over the place in terms of quality, but a lot of it's very memorable. If anybody doesn't know the movie Megamind, if you know Min, uh, the character Minion, he looks like a uh, gorilla with a uh, a big fish bowl for a head. That is based off of Robot Monster or Roman. So he's got a fish head, kind of. Uh, so. There is a stock musical theme at the very beginning. I don't know if you know. It's called Stealthy Footsteps by Charles uh, Dunworth. And it gets used a lot in a lot of different things. If you listen to the opening sequence, like after the first bars of the motif get through, it does the it does the Stealthy Footsteps. Uh, that was a stock musical theme that they pulled in. course it was either this or doing swan lake again and and thank you they did something different so they were able to get this movie into theaters about less than a month before mystery of the wax museum came out and it's about an hour long hour and three minutes so it's it's time well spent that's the reason why it looks so like a universal movie not only does it use lionel atwell who was in some previous movies and well he was going to be in some universal stuff later I don't think Faye Ray was in anything. He, she was except for RKO. She was in Most Dangerous Game. I thought she did a great job in that. The I would say that that's why this movie looks so universal is because they used the sets and they used some of the actors in some previous 
Universal movies. And, and they also have a nice wipe in every single scene change. Let's talk oh, about that. Wow. It's cheesy, but it makes it really interesting. And it's like captivating when there's motion. So it's kind of like a... It's really nice. A couple of them work, but it gets... I was joking around with William when we watched this that there's more wipes in this than Star Wars. Um, and I will... I completely yes, hold to that truth. Every single scene change. Some of it works, though, William. There's a couple of wipes. I was like, oh, that's kind of creative. And then and then, and then after a while, I'm kind of like, okay. But uh, I think I'll forgive the movie on that. So let's talk about the cast. Um, some of the cast members here, they have uh, some famous movies coming up for them. And I think we'll probably talk about them more in detail when we get to that point. And there's also a lot of people that we've seen before, such as, you know, Melvin Douglas, Dwight Fry. Um, we've talked about them before. Yeah. Uh, take a look at our episode, uh, The Old Dark House, when we just did, and all, uh, for Melvin Douglas information on him. And it's it's two and a half hours long, so it's a long haul. Hey, it's 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 not a... I listen to it. It, it goes by so quick. It's just, it's just great. Of course, I was there for the for when we recorded. I might as well leave five stars as well. I mean... We need the comments. We also read them. It's it's a win-win. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, honestly, a lot of people will say, you know, leave us five, uh, four or five uh, star review on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. We so appreciate it. Um, we're on Apple Podcasts, so do this. Do the same for Apple Podcasts too. Yeah, Apple Podcasts is is part of. Uh, it's been folded into iTunes. I think they they called it Apple Podcasts to kind of separate it out a little bit from the traditional music that you can buy off of iTunes, so that's the reason why. But people still say iTunes because iTunes can pull in podcasts. So a lot of times people will have iTunes installed even if they don't have so Apple Podcasts installed. So it's kind of like installed. a modular system. I, th I think so, and and there, I think that's just branding. It's all about branding to Apple. They're just trying to, to brand things a certain way to make it easier for some people to find things. But go do that anyway. So Lionel yeah, Atwell. Yeah, Lionel Atwill. Um, lots of interesting stuff about him, and one uh, little bit of uh, scandal uh, which we'll talk about in won't go into too much detail. It, it's a, it's a, it's rather scandalous and spicy. So we'll stay away from that a little bit. Um, he played Dr. Otto von Neiman. He's a, he's a scientist and he's very, you start getting really sus of him. I think more toward the end, uh, not as sus as everybody else. I think they only, they only realize toward the end that he's got some kind of issues. Uh, they have little clues, but they're like, I don't know, but they're, they're really going towards, uh, the wrong suspect. So Lionel Atwill, he lived. He's, he's a London actor, a English. Eng this whole, I think this whole thing was filmed in England. I think I, I, we'll have to see. I don't remember. He actually studied architecture before he went to the stage. Uh, he became a star on Broadway, uh, and very shortly after, he was in some silent films. I think after 1919, uh, as the 30s started coming in, he was in Doctor X in 1932. I think Dr. X is on YouTube if you want to catch it. Uh, the Vampire Bat, Murders in the Zoo, and Mystery in the Wax Museum. Those were all in 1933, so the guy was busy. And he's also in Son of Frankenstein as well in the future. He is. This is probably where I This is where I, I recognize his name, but his his face, because I think because he has like a mustache and a hat or and, and a monocle or something. That's how. But he's played Inspector Krogh in Son of Frankenstein. He has kind of this wooden arm. Uh, and he has to like move the arm in different positions uh, because it won't move. It's like a prosthetic, and so it's very, 
uh, he also uh, parodied in Mel Brooks's uh, Young Frankenstein. Um, I think we watched that one quite a bit of ways ago. I don't think if we do cover that one, that would be pretty cool. It's kind of like a comedic take on Frankenstein. It is. It is um, the Frankenstein format from Universal. But yeah, yeah and it's... I watched that one before I ever watched Frankenstein, so that might be worth revisiting personally. It's a little racy, and so, and, but some of the jokes though, it is directed by Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks is has got a uh, a very uh, certain comedic shtick that he goes. You know, a lot of the jokes make make a lot of sense if you think about if you think about another another layer to it. Uh, there's a joke where uh, every time they say Frau Blucher, I'll show you who that lady is supposed to be playing from those old Frankenstein movies. Anyway, every time they say that, because her name Blucher means glue, and uh, and the horse like whinnies because he's scared because horses are what you make glue out of. But anyway, apparently you also note that he was also in some Sherlock Holmes stuff, such as... Um Fox's The Hound of the Bas- Baskervilles, 1939, and um, Sherlock Holmes and the Secret Weapon, 1943, as Moriarty. Yeah, he was Dr. James Mortimer in, in Hound of the Baskervilles. But Moriarty, yes, he played him in Sherlock Holmes and the Secret Weapon, 1943. This was, though, after 1942, 1943, and going onwards, he was in a lot less uh, movies, and I'll tell you why. Um, so... And of course, as you know, he was uh, he was in four uh, Frankenstein movies as different characters. So we'll see him quite a bit going forward. And we'll as we watch these movies, I'll point him out to you. Um, now, something happened. Uh, he he was kind of well known for uh, throwing really crazy parties, very illegal drug use and stuff. Uh, but something happened at one of the parties. I think off in another room. It was very it, that was, it was something illegal, and it came to find out that it happened at, at that party, and they basically were like, "Oh yeah, you're, we think you're part of this." And he was saying, "No, I'm not." He would never tell who did what because he was basically, um, even though he could have, he wouldn't turn anybody in, um, and he he kind of got blacklisted in a way. It wasn't communism; it was something a little bit more plain. Jane. Now he did make some some minor small film uh, roles after that. Kind of like I said, he's most of the stuff that I remember him from was from the Frankenstein movies. So that's probably the majority of his parts. He was in um, a movie called To Be or Not to Be. It also had uh, Maude Eburn as well, which is also in this movie, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, I actually did, and I'll tell you about I'll tell you about that. Before I do that, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some of the movies that we're going to see him in going forward. Um, I don't know if we're doing Mark of the Vampire or not, but uh, we're doing Son of uh, Frankenstein from 39, uh, Man Made Monster in 41, which has Lon Chaney Jr. Uh, of course, you know, he plays the Wolfman and some other different characters. Uh, the Ghost of Frankenstein. Of course, like you said, he was also in Sherlock Holmes and the Secret Weapon. Uh, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. House of Frankenstein and House of Dracula. Wow, Dra- he did a bunch of Frankenstein stuff. He did. House of Frankenstein and House of Dracula are pretty much, I call those monster mash movies because they bring all these different you know type of characters that would be in their own solo movies that brought them all together. So if you want to think of it, these were the 
Avengers and Avengers the Infinity Hotel War. Hotel Transylvania before <laughs> Hotel Transylvania, I guess. That's that's actually true. Um, you know, I don't think you would have Hotel Transylvania without uh, you know House of Frankenstein and House of Dracula. Though it's it it it's a lot. It doesn't have a lot of the. It doesn't have a lot of the universal stuff. It has, you know, vampires and slime monster and mummy and stuff. Yeah, that's true. And some of that stuff is just from uh, 1950s. Uh, like the, the the slime monster would be a nod toward Blob, which we're going to do. Um, so what I would tell you is, uh, let's see, you mentioned, you mentioned somebody, before we'll get to Faye Ray. Um, of course, we'll, uh, remember Faye, of course, Faye Ray... Uh, she was in Doctor X with Lionel Atwell in '32. She was uh, Eve Trowbridge in The Most Dangerous Game, 1932, which that was a great episode that we did. That was so much fun. Of course, she was in Mystery of the Wax Museum with him as well, and also Vampire Bat. Now, and of course, her main famous role we'll know her as is Anne Darrow in King Kong, which is coming up. And like I said, we are on episode 16, so we've got four more episodes, and two of those episodes are King Kong episodes. King Kong and its sequel, Son of Kong. And we will definitely be doing those, and that's going to be great. So, uh, we know Dwight Fry. Um, he's also in quite a few Frankenstein movies. And, um, hold up, hold up, hold up. We're not doing Grandson of Kong? We're not, are we not even no, doing Great no. <laughs> Great Grandson of Kong? Are we not even doing the Great Great? Okay, sorry. That, that <laughs> so, the, the, the Kong movies, let me see if I can remember the Kong movies we're doing. Uh, Kong, Son of Kong. Uh, there actually is a kind of Kong reboot that they did. Uh, Kong Skull Island? Well, that's, that's, that's different. That's much later, though. This is uh, Toho's King Kong. Uh, Toho is a Japanese company that did, that's famous for all the... Uh, Godzilla, uh, Godzilla movies. Godzilla they did movies. Godzilla versus King Kong. Hey, uh, they in they did multiple of them. Yeah, they did multiple of them in the sixties. Year after. Well, they year. did nineteen sixty two, and they did nineteen sixty two, and I think there was another movie later on that's a solo Kong effort, and that one is called uh, King Kong Escapes, I think, and that one that one's a trip. So basically, King Kong was very influential. So oh yeah. And anyway, we're getting way ahead of ourselves let's yeah so uh like like i said you know if you want to learn about dwight fry we do talk about him in pretty uh pretty great detail on the frankenstein the dracula episode the dracula episode was the one we talked about him most okay great uh well you know ch check out that one and frankenstein to get an idea of uh of of his contribution so uh there was a character in this movie uh he's the burgomeister otherwise known as the village mayor guy and he has that white shock of hair, right? Remember him? Mm -hmm. I was like, he looks very familiar to me. And the reason why is because he played the Burgermeister in Frankenstein. So he's very good at Burgermeisters. Uh, yeah, and he plays a similar role in Son of Frankenstein and Ghost of Frankenstein. So when we see L Lionel Belmore is his name, when we see him, we're just going to point at him and go, Him! It's him! And then also... With him and Lionel Atwell being in Frankenstein movies, we could go, ooh, there's Lionel. Wait, which one? <laughs> right, exactly, exactly, exactly. So let's get on. So, okay, uh, okay, and also we did a movie with the actor who plays the character of Emil, Emil in this, Robert Fraser. All uh, right, and uh, Emil was in White Zombie. What was the guy's name? It started with a, B, a Beaumont. Yeah. Right, Monsieur, Monsieur Beaumont. 
He was the one. He was the guy who uh, got Murder Legende into uh, like killing that woman and resurrecting her body as a zombie. Yeah, that movie. That was, a trip. was crazy. So yeah, uh, you mentioned Maud Maud Eburn. I didn't know a lot about her, but I I didn't know what else she's been in. She was in To Be Not, or Not To Be With Lionel Atwill. Her first sound film role was in a movie called The Bat Whispers, which is interesting because she, she does the vampire bat. That movie, The Bat Whispers, is based off of like a, a, a I think The Bat Whispers and The Bat and some of those remakes of that, of that. There's a play called The Bat or The Bat Whispers. And it. I think that some of the imagery in it inspired Batman, maybe? I would say so. Um, I, th- I think there's just too much like Batman to just kind of you know, dismiss it out of hand. Uh, but the funny thing about her is, is if as we notice, she is in this movie. She plays a, a hypochondriac, which is somebody who believes that they are that they have some sort of disease, one or another. Yeah, and they've got to find some sort of cure. It's a very unique disease. If you could even call it a disease, because technically that'd be proving them right that they do have a well, disease. Well, it is a, it, a dis-ease is an issue. It's it's a disease of the mind, I think. Now, here here's the thing, though. I think it is kind of played for laughs. Uh, the last scene of the entire movie, I think, is is a way to leave you with a kind of a chuckle, which a lot of these movies, have you noticed, they leave you with a little bit of chuckle at the end, even though they were frightening or suspenseful. There's always got to be the guy at the end who says, hey, you got a match? <laughs> Just like in a oh, white zombie. yeah. Or even um, another case where, you know, uh, the monster walks, they got to have the grandpappy was a ape. Oh, no. And oh, there's that was terrible instances. Of that was it. a terrible joke. I'm sure that joke killed and they thought it was hilarious, but it was it was very inappropriate. Anyway, culture was different at that time. It was it was normal. Yeah, it doesn't mean it now we can watch the movie and and we can enjoy certain elements of it, but I don't celebrate uh those elements. I just see them as a uh, cultural artifacts. Like like when you look at things, when you look at somebody, you know, with an abacus and you go, "Hey, uh you guys, just stick around. We'll have computer tablets later. So uh, here's a little bit of a uh, quote from Maud Eburn, uh, as we do, who played uh, Gussie, uh, who is the hypochondriac. She said, when I first came to New York, I said I didn't want to be beautiful young girls or stately leading women, but wanted parts that had something queer in them, especially if they were dialect. So somebody who's a fairly odd person. Strange. Odd, yeah, strange. Would have done well in the cat and the canary. If she said, especially if they were dialect, that means like if I get to have an accent. And you know what? I totally agree. In all the parts that I've done on stage, uh, I've always got a chance to do some kind of voice or or something different or something odd about them. And those are my most enjoyable roles. I think that you got to, you know, a lot of the other actors they got to do something very like Dwight Fry. That well, yeah. I, I that's why I kind of have an attraction to to watching Dwight Fry just do stuff on screen because he's going for it. He's you know whatever he's doing, he's doing something strange. No matter he he always he always uh, he outshines anything when he's on screen. And so it's a shame they only had like two or three really really good roles. Uh, but he's very memorable. We'll never forget Dwight Fry for what he did. So um, that's the production of this movie. So do you want? 
Um, I'd like to read to you some of the cool things about vampire bats from the Wikipedia. Let's Ooh. talk about their social regurgitating, and I'll quote here. So, so social regurgitation, like like Twitter. Yes, exactly. Facebook. <laughs> that was <laughs> more like fa- more like Facebook. Not so- okay. That's that's my dad joke uh, for 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 this evening. So keep so- going. I quote here, it says, A vampire bat can only survive about two days without feeding, yet they cannot guarantee finding food every night. This po- this poses a problem. So when a bat fails to find food, it'll often beg another bat for food. A donor bat may regurgitate a small amount of blood to sustain the other member of the colony. It's that's really interesting for yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It's 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 interesting and it's and it's a it's an interesting mechanism for survival. But if I were to see somebody else, you know, tell some tell another member of their family that they're uh, they're hungry and then they throw something up and they eat it. Uh, actually, that, that's very common for a lot of uh, birds of prey, uh, vultures, uh, eagles. They, they'll regurgitate uh, food for the babies. Um, but vampire bats, they do have tons of interesting things about them if you want to go see. Yeah, Absolutely. And and honestly, uh, in 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 the words of uh, Bruce Wayne, they're great survivors. And in the words of Herman, he says they're nice and soft, like cat. Yes. Uh, every time that every time Herman would have you know would be would put the little bat in his pocket, I kept thinking of of the uh, nice kitty, soft kitty, little ball of fur uh, song from Big Bang Theory. We could play a clip right here. Soft kitty, warm kitty, little ball of fur. Happy kitty, sleepy kitty, purr, purr, purr. But obviously I don't get that since I don't watch Big Bang Theory. Or I haven't really watched any sitcoms much really, but it's classic. That's okay. I, th- I, th- I think you would probably relate to... Uh, the main character of Sheldon. Every, a lot of people have said that he's he's probably on the spectrum, probably with Aspergers or whatever. But uh, they never say that he that he is. But I think he might be, and that's fine. He's he's probably the most entertaining character of the whole bunch. He, he steals almost every scene that he's in. Uh, but they, I think they overuse him in the show a lot too much. And the show, the show went on for way too many seasons, and I I just couldn't I couldn't take any more. I was like, I'm done. So, yeah. And also, uh, I will say this about Big Bang Theory. Uh, it it kind of showed uh, people, you know, nerds playing Dungeons and & Dragons, and it made it look cool, uh, even before uh, Stranger Things did. Yeah, but Stranger Things cameoed D&D very much, so as far as I can tell, obviously not having ever watched it. Well, what Stranger Things did is it also would take the big bad or the big big monster or big creature and they would rename it something from D&D to kind of so they would kind of figure it's out like, how to destroy the gelatinous it. cube. Well, they had the the Demogorgon and they had uh Mind Flayer and this season it's Vecna, uh the evil lich sorcerer. So, yeah, they're, they're basically they're they they're having to give the evil a name and so they're choosing something from something they understand. Um what I would say is even before any of these things there was always E.T., the extraterrestrial. Um, I think these are probably some things we'll go into when we go talk about E.T. But but, how on earth did we get here? Uh, well, let's let's well, we can go backwards. But yeah, E.T. Start, starts out with a scene where they're playing D&D. Anyway. So we're done with the 
production. Now, we will join you back for the plot, and you will join us as we wade through the waters of the twilight, searching earnestly for the danger of the vampire bat loping after you the way it can. Or maybe we can we can leap into the plot like like Herman leaps into the chasm. Oh, too soon. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, yeah, poor Herman. Anyway, uh, this is this is going to be my my favorite part talking about the plot with you. Um, so see you then. See you then. Back, listeners, uh, you're in the the plot zone. Um, it's the zone where we lay out the plot of a film, specifically in this case, The Vampire Bat, and we talk about it as we go. Um, so, spoilers. But this movie is a, is available on uh, Blu-ray, DVD. I think you can also watch it online. Uh, they actually had a copy of this in the Wikipedia article about vampire bat so you could actually watch but we it straight do there always recommend blu-rays because the thing is the actual studios at their vaults probably have the highest quality versions concerning they actually made it themselves so true they're probably the best quality you know 4k outputs and stuff that they had right on hand yeah or 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 the, if if they didn't own it they basically are restoring it uh, for, uh, you know, there's a lot of studios that do restorations and they find old movies that, uh, I mean, there's some movies that were like the people found in a dumpster, uh, and they cleaned it up and it became cult favorites. So, and also there might be like some IMAX versions, maybe on Blu-ray on, or something that might not be anywhere else. I doubt it. That, that extra hired part of the thing is just absolutely expanding. Anyway, how about, how about we go do some impromptu Kenobi review zone. Whoop whoop. No spoilers, minor spoilers. All I wanted to say was that I really did feel that the last two episodes are what the entire story should have been and that there were many plot contrivances that were some issues. I mean, some people are like, hey, it's Star Wars, I'm enjoying it for the entertainment and that's fine some people go oh this seems a little iffy in terms of the story because you know it it suffers through some prequel the classic prequel problem of hey we got important people important characters important events why don't they remember them otherwise so it's like for instance why didn't Leia remember meeting Obi-Wan, for instance? So- well, also, also she does – there's some things she doesn't reveal. My thought on this is you have to really kind of come up with con- contrivances to, to make things make sense. You have to come up with the solution to the contrivances, yes. If you notice this, Leia never meets Obi-Wan in A New Hope. Yeah, and they don't have as close a relationship as they have. That's the thing. I thought – this would have been really well if it was his own adventure. That's what I thought when I originally heard of Kenobi is, oh, he's going to be on his own adventure somewhere else doing something else because that's interesting. But no, we get the showdown of the century when we already had it in A New Hope. So, well, maybe, uh, you know, maybe he's helping other 
uh, Jedi hide and something happens and he, you know, in his quest to try to help those people, he lost sight of what he was supposed to do and he had a good, good idea at the time and maybe it caused their deaths. But then, but then he would be, he would be reticent to get Luke involved because he'd be afraid of losing Luke. So again, you're making up stuff that, that honestly is just... I could get what the writers are thinking. I can get, okay, they put some story beats, but everything else and the, everything in between is not, it's really iffy territory. My question is, ask yourself about any particular thing. Does it have to be told? Yeah. And the answer is mostly no. Honestly, yeah. We could have done without this series. And, like, seriously, we need a new standard for Star Wars. If it's going to be really bad as in Boba Fett. This was slightly better than Boba Fett, definitely. But still, we still need a higher standard for Star Wars than that. Because it was famous for a reason. And then Disney is just kind of bringing it down into B-movie territory. Well, let's 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 put it this way. Um, you know, not everybody's going to like everything that a particular group puts out. Um, but honestly, you know, and I have my issues with certain things that Marvel is doing right now um, as as choices that they're that they're making, but I I'm watching it going, okay, uh, you're taking me somewhere. Uh, let's see what you do with it. And that's that's kind of also the thing is these characters that you have in this Marvel Cinematic Universe, they are based off of comic book characters. They've never been put in any kind of form in live action in this world. So you kind of have some freedom in doing that. You can kind of create your own thing while yet still giving a a nod to the original things. Yeah, like Rogue One, it kind of, like, it introduced new things and stuff, kind of. But it's still, it was very loosely kind of based it didn't have any like important important characters that take place in it that's why i i feel like kenobi is five out of ten and that i really do feel like it should be a lot better with andor that's what i'd like to see andor be better i liked some aspects of andor as far as decisions they made in in the obviously it's not out yet but yeah well i'm talking about in the trailer if if it's anything like the trailer they're going with a different uh subsection or corner of the star wars universe which would be very interesting to explore that's kind of what i wanted kenobi to kind of be the reason i think why they're doing this is because they like the actors they do they like they like the actors they like the characters everyone else does i mean it's darth freaking vader well listen 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 to this okay we have ewan mcgregor who wouldn't want to work with ewan mcgregor again after working with him before also uh diego luna who plays uh andor he's a great actor He's got. Uh, I saw him in uh, season, I believe, three of Narcos, and he did a really great job in that. So I'm like, why wouldn't you want to work with him again? So you come up with these projects just to write for them. But this is just a character who popped up in one movie, and he died. And he did something interesting, but it's not like I was... These are questions that no one was asking. Like, no one was sitting here going, I want there to be an Andor series. They just came up and said, we have an Andor series, and we went, okay. You know what I'm saying? Yes, but I really did enjoy some things of this movie. Like, you know, as as we got to the final episode, 
there wasn't really any thematic material, but then they brought in thematic material at the end, and I'm just like, yes! Like, I mean, seriously, I wouldn't be surprised if John Williams came and overhauled the music and just went, here, put some thematic material, it'll help you And you have reached you have reached the spoiler territory. It's not so. a spoiler. All we, I'm going to say is they pull in the main theme, you know, they pull in the force theme and everything, and I'm just like, where was this everywhere else? Mute it, and do you still have the same feelings? Because they're playing off of the, the emotions that they previously created in you. You have to be aware when they're pulling your your strings. What I'm saying is that previously there wasn't any thematic material. The music was kind of boring. And then when they brought that in, I was like, this is honestly, yeah, five and six is what the whole series yeah, should Yeah, but wait, uh, watch it on mute and see if you feel the same way. Uh, <laughs> but I'm not as pessimistic with you on the Kenobi front. Well, though, but... I'm I'm pe- I'm pessimistic because a lot of times a movie will pull my heartstrings, and I'll let I'll let the movie do that, and then later I'll feel used. Does that make sense? Almost like almost like a uh, a a really you know beautiful girl has asked you on a date. She says all the right things, and then you fall you're falling in love, and then she just moves on just like that. And it was all just a show. But the thing is, they always seem to get better at the end. First, like with Bo- uh, Book of Boba Fett, and then now we get to uh, Kenobi. And honestly, now that it's all out, I do feel like 5 out of 10. So this has been a chill, impromptu Kenobi review. Da-da-da. Anyway, let's go into the plot. Yeah, let's talk about... 1933's The Vampire Bat. The Vampire Bat, indeed. So, we start with a wonderful theme. You said it was stealthy footsteps. Honestly, you said stock, but I thought even if it was stock, it was it it set the mood pretty well. I thought It did. I'm it not was great. I'm it's not, a great it's a great stock music. I'm not complaining. I didn't know it was stock music until I read that and I went because I haven't heard it in, in other films. If I were to listen to some other films in which it was in, I'd be like, "Oh, okay." But it's a great piece, anyway. So yeah, it's so so is Swan Lake. I mean, I don't I I don't hate hearing it every time I hear it. I I think it's great. But I thought this one, the stealthy footsteps, is it's in line with it, and it's also more interesting than Swan Lake. It's thematically interesting. Yeah, I agree. Because Swan Lake doesn't apply it all to the horror space really at all. So the clock strikes midnight. And the lantern man appears. A scream erupts from a window in the house at the corner. And the lantern man passed by. We cut down to the Burgomaster's quarters as we get a Van Helsing-style vampire discussion between the town officials. It's exposition discussion. Exposition discussion. An expo-scussion. Uh, okay. Uh, I, I'm, that's not going to work. Is I was trying to make that like a new meme thing. Expo discussion. It's not going to work. It, it's not catching. I guess the scush makes it a lot less better of a term. Scush, scush is not really good at part of it. No, I don't like the way that sounds. That sounds like something Jack Black would come up with. Like this is totally the scush man. <laughs> anyway, like like what's your position on this on the scush? You know, that's what how he talks sometimes. <laughs> anyway, so. We get a discussion between the town officials and our protagonist, Carl, who's a police inspector who's very skeptical about the vampire ordeal. Vampires are at large, I tell you. Vampires. Malignant demons who issue forth from their graves in the dead of night to attack their victims and drink the blood from their veins. Cut him a breast, Snyder, don't jest. Ah, 
That blood-sucking legend belongs in the same category with werewolves and all other peasant superstitions. Well, all the records in the world can't make me believe in vampires. And he's played by? He is played by Melvin Douglas. Melvin and Douglas. He, as well as all of the acting in this film, spot on. Really great acting. Pretty good. Pretty good, I have to say, yeah. This this movie was pretty great. Anyway, I already said that, so... Still true. Yeah. The Burgermeister attempts in vain to improve the existence of vampires to Carl by connecting the giant bat epidemic of 1643 and the simultaneous vampire outbreak. There was an epidemic of giant bats in Kleinschloss in 1643. And at the same time, there was an outbreak of vampirism. Why, this record from the town archive proved it. Says it, not proves it. Well, I'll show you. And on this day was von Hausmann hanged from a gibbet in the public square after being convicted on a proven charge of vampirism. And on this same day, there did occur the departure of the bats. And on the night of this same day, was there a stake driven through von Hausmann's heart and his head cut off with a grave digger's shovel. Something funny is that he calls the bite the, the mark, mark of, of the, the feast. feast. Yeah, like, like the mark of the beast, mark of the feast. The mark of the feast. Who knows? Maybe it was maybe it was a little bit of censorship. Maybe it wasn't. Who knows? It's funny anyways. Uh, well, and, and one thing about that is that Melvin Douglas's character, uh, Carl, he ke- keeps bringing up that vampire bats are, are, are from Latin America. And, of course, they're in, like, Europe or German, like a German kind of town. Is that right? They're in a burg. They're in a burg. So here's what here's the thing. The Burgermeister's like, well, they could have... They could have, I guess, what got on a ship or something, or taken a plane here. Or just flew all the way here like butterflies do. You know the butterflies can, like, migrate a really far distance? I think they do go overseas sometimes. I haven't checked. I don't think bats could make it to Europe, especially... Well, vampire bats couldn't make it to Europe from Latin America. I think that's and a why little would, bit of a stretch. why would they anyway? They wouldn't be used to the environment. They wouldn't have the normal things that they have to eat. Well, I mean, they have blood, but still, you, you get what I mean. Uh, are they going to wait till, uh, till the cattle of the sea, a whale... Like a, a James whale comes up to the top of the ocean and like to to you know blow air into the to the, blow water into the air. What do they do? Like their blowhole? They come up for air. They come up for air, and then the a vampire bat alights on their back and like sucks their their sweet whale blood. I mean, I I don't buy it. So yeah, I think that Melvin Douglas is very skeptical, which is it, it plays off of the super superstition versus science. And I think that and that's... superstition is a very Van Helsing word. It he is says superstition it... a lot in a very famous way. He does say that a lot. Yes, and honestly, uh, if everybody had just believed Melvin in the beginning and gone at this in a in a uh, uh, science based investigation, they would have come to a good conclusion. As as of course, when you outlay the plot, outlay the plot here, we'll find that out. But superstition gets. Gets poor Dwight Fry killed. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm skipping anyway, ahead. Anyway, so... So sad. Carl then returns home to surprise his girlfriend, Ruth, who we meet then, by kissing her while she studies her chemicals in the lab of the house. We are also introduced to Ruth's Aunt Gussie, whom Carl scares with tales of vampires. This clammy old place is bound to give me pericarditis, antricarditis, neuritis, this... Well, anyway, rheumatism. Speaking of chills, Frau Schnappen... Did you know the village is supposed to be infested with ghouls and vampires? Oh, Carl. Vampires. Pariahs among fiends. 
demoniacal creatures with huge canine teeth who bite deeply into the necks of their victims to quaff and gorge on blood, warm human blood. There's no such thing as a vampire, Carl Snyder. I don't believe in it. You're just saying that to frighten me. And I just won't be frightened. Oh, Mrs. Uh, she's Mrs. Hypochondriac Comic Relief? Yes, she is, definitely. So... Next, we get to Dr. Von Neiman, who's in other character as well. He was played by Lionel Atwill, and um, he's a pretty good... He was a pretty good role for it, but Melvin Douglas definitely was a pretty good actor as well. He, he, he plays a good leading man in this, you know? And he's he's got a kind of a wry sense of humor, kind of sarcastic. I kind of like it. And, you know, uh, I, I, mean, I liked him in Old Dark House as well. So, you know, uh, I mean, pro- it's probable that... You know, as he gets older, his acting roles probably won't won't be as leading man material. Probably will be more like dads, a lot of dad characters. I, th- I think didn't we talk about that previously with Melvin Douglas? Is that he? Yeah, he played a ton of dad characters, which is really funny. Yeah, when you get older, hey, that's what you do. When you get when guys get older and they st- and they they start you know playing older characters, you. And then, you know, they they get a grandson, sit him in front and say, hey, I'll tell you a story. And then here comes Commence the Princess Bride. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Anyway, so Dr. Von Neiman is visiting Martha Mueller, who's a patient who was recently attacked by a bat. Also visiting is Herman, who is a mentally challenged bat lover, who also gives her a nice little flower. Yeah, and, 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 and it's just a kind thing he does. But the superstition superstition that people have just cause everything he does to come into question. All right, so he also explains that bats are soft like cat. They're not any trouble to anybody. They soft like cat. They not bite Herman. <laughs> Which, um, of course, triggers Martha with some PTSD, resulting in their leave. So they all leave. Yeah, yeah, and well, they, they they ask him to leave anyway. But but honestly, uh, they're very. The, a lot of the people are kind. They're kind to Herman. They get they give him an apple. I guess is that kind. Um, they, but when it comes to other different things, they kind of treat him. They treat him as a lesser. Mm. Which you know, hey, that's not that's not that's not right. But. At the same time, I've seen, uh, you know, bats uh, with bat trainers just holding them. And and honestly, they're they're kind of cute, especially flying foxes. They look like they look like poodles with wings. Yeah. But what also doesn't look like poodles of wings is actually have you seen like the people who get like peregrine falcons and tame them like peregrine falcons? Oh, falconers. Yeah, those are really cool. They have like a cool arm thing on there. So they don't get scratched. It's really awesome. They, I hope they have those with like bats or something. They don't probably keep them in their pocket. No, you, you, they do have a have a situation where they can see if a bat will go after a particular sound. Mostly that's so they can take video of them just to see them hunting in the wild. But mostly they just live around and you can observe them. So on the doctor's journey home, he meets Kringen, who's one of the townsfolk who claims to have been attacked by the vampire in bat form. But kept it a secret so as to not spread fear. Is he the guy, is he the guy with the mustache and the and the big eyes? I think so. Okay, okay, yeah. I, I was say I, was, I remember him. He looked kind of like a kind of like an actor uh, that I know. Yeah. So Kringen decides to go do so when he's like, "Wait a minute! I should probably go tell the townspeople." So he decides to go do so, 
But then Herman rigidly objects. He says, you know, bats are passive. They don't hurt people. They don't hurt him. And then Kringen now thinks that Herman is sus because he loves bats and plays with them like pets. Yeah, again, superstition. Superstition. It, it, causes, it causes people to make decisions based upon uh, fear and emotion and not logic and and calm rational logic uh, did i say logic 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 rational logic all right so we then get to the next scene when many village men cower in a store away from herman under assumption of him being a vampire we then get to another scene where martha is put to sleep as carl and ruth chat in the lab with von neiman before heading to bed there are many strange happenings my boy many mysteries beyond the power of the human mind to comprehend have you a theory which might explain these deaths? Well, I'll be pleased to discuss it with you, but uh, not now, not now. I have some very important work to do. Well, tomorrow, then. Tomorrow? Yes, yes, perhaps. Uh, we'll see. Well, then, Von Neiman enters a locked door very suspiciously. And, and it's like one of those big doors with the, with the you know, and, and why does he have it locked? But once once you see what's behind it, you you kind of realize that uh, there's definitely something weird going on here. I mean, he's a doctor, and he's got lots of science and beakers and everything and, and all that. But the way that it's even put in front of the camera is you see him through this almost a spiderweb or, la- or latticework of all these chemicals and beakers and stuff. It, it looks like he's he's a spider catching flies. That's just what I thought of. That is – that that's amazing, an amazing conclusion. So – It's not so far off. We then get to the next morning where Martha Mueller, Mueller – is dead. She's now died overnight. Everyone concludes it is vampires. Herman specifically. Did they have a uh, Among Us meeting? Somebody called the meeting and they all came together and they voted and they said, I think it's vampires. How many times are we going to say sus in this episode? <laughs> <laughs> Look. Every single time it's Among Us and sus. Anyway. You know what? Uh, a lot of these movies uh, are very much based off of that kind of mystery style where a bunch of people are in a house or area. It's an enclosed area. Someone dies. Who did it? But this is not so much of a whodunit mystery as much of a as much as a horror piece. So Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's not really like the monster walks to the old dark house kind of style. So Von Neiman inspects the body outside with the crowd all around him. They're trying to hear what he says. And Herman enters... And he sneaks up some stairs, also in order to see the body as well. So Neiman admits the vampires could possibly exist. And he recounts a case of some natives of the Amazon trying to cure their tribal brother of vampirism with a herbal antidote. It's very interesting. Citing a case in which he saw a native tortured to death in an antidote by his tribe brothers. They swore he had become a human bat. And, states Jamison, he confessed it. Do you mean to say that such a thing as a human vampire is possible? Who can say? I don't mind admitting that I'm up a tree. Stumped. Hmm. And Herman then sees the dead body, and no one noticed him at this point, and so he just screams, and he runs away, and everyone's like, oh, right, you're here. Uh, I mean, he loved Martha. Yes, he did. He loved she her was, a lot. She, she was very sweet to him. But everyone is sus of him now. Well, well, yeah, when he screamed, they just took that to mean, oh, well, you know, he's a creep or something. And everything that he does, they see through 
this glass or this or this this uh, glass of lower the, classness that yes. he is or 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 whatever this this superstition superstition they see it through that lens and everything he does is just that ca- that's casted upon him um he can't he can't get away from it uh i don't think he had a chance it's just cuz he was just born into the wrong time born into the wrong village and he just happened to like bats and you know nothing wrong with that yeah, there's nothing wrong with liking a particular thing. I mean, look at us. Hey, we like really specific movies that no one probably could have ever heard of before. Yeah, and also your sisters have guinea pigs. Just okay. By the way, if anybody didn't know that, uh, his sisters have guinea pigs, and they're really sweet and cute. And they're they're fluffy. They've got dark dark eyes, and they've got fluffy fur. I guess we know who has the obsession now. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 well. If they had, uh, if they had wings, wouldn't you say that those guinea pigs were still cute? That's what I'm saying. If we could redo the title art, it would obviously be a guinea pig with wings. I guess then. I, you know what? Uh, I uh, let's commission if they are alive. I, would, I can do the, it. The, can do the it. Universal Monster Movie artists and get them to draw it for us if they're if they're still alive. I think we. I I would love to. They'd probably be like like ninety two or something. Who knows? I would have all the characters looking up in kind of a circle kind of formation, and the guinea pig with wings in the middle. Yes. Let's do it. All right. Um. Well, not actually. So. <laughs> um. Crinkin then exclaims, "Herman wouldn't harm a baby, and you know it." I've walked the streets of this village for over forty years, but tonight's the end. He knows that I've totally plays with bats. He killed her just like he did all the rest, and now he's gonna kill me. Unless he's killing a snake driven through his heart, I'm a doomed man. He'll kill me. He'll kill me. I'm doomed. He'll kill me. He'll kill me. I'm a doomed man. So next morning, Herman then peeks into Doctor Von Neiman's garden as Carl and Ruth are out flirting, and Gussie's trying to figure out her disease. Herman then plays a trick on Gussie by imitating a cat in the bushes, attracting her only for her to get her fingers nipped by an adorable turtle. Wow. I mean, come on. She's like a horrid beast, and it's just a it's just a tiny little turtle. Yeah, well, everything is a source of, you know, disease and pain and horror to her. I mean, you know, what a horrible life to just be going around thinking that there's you know, a, a plague around every corner. I mean, I know we just came through a horrible thing that I can't say the name of, but, uh, you know, we went through, but think of, think about that is that you're constantly in fear of infection and it's just what a life to live. I couldn't live like that. I just couldn't do it. Yeah. It's just like constantly worrying about diseases. Am I right? <laughs> anyway, so Herman then tries to eat out of the fruit basket only to get told off by Gussie not to, with Herman licking his blood to trick the audience as usual. That is something that he does in this movie, is just they make him do very vampirish things in order to make the audience go, hmm, maybe it is the vampire after all. Oh, it's the vampire. Also, they are kind of playing off the fact that he was, you know, I mean, they're obviously playing on the fact that he was Renfield, Dracula's uh, minion, in, in Dracula, only only a few years earlier. I mean, people recognized him from that. Uh, you don't think that they that that may have affected how somebody watching this movie would go? Oh, of course, they're right. He's obviously a vampire, um, or obviously in league with them for some reason. So it's kind of a it's kind of a red herring to throw you off the trail. So 
Gussie then goes off for a bandage to prevent tetanus, obviously, because obviously. concerning a wound, you'll get tetanus. So, meanwhile, Dr. Von Neiman, Carl, and Ruth, they're discussing vampires inside the house. Now, how could a corpse buried under four or five feet of earth get out to do any such foolishness? I don't believe it. It's a fair question, Doctor. How could it? Well, according to accepted theory, the vampire dematerializes its body and reintegrates it outside the grave. It's a good explanation, if you can believe it. Hmm. And while I'm standing here listening to all this rubbish, there's a poor man in the garden in danger of a tetanus infection. But then, the town fathers suddenly enter the house and announce that Kringen's dead and Herman's missing. Gussie then comes to realize that Herman is who she was just getting the bandage for and faints. Wow. You good like Martha. <laughs> she give me apples. Herman like you. Are you Herman? Me, Herman. You give me apple? Herman give you nice, soft bat. <laughs> so, he, so he's missing because he killed Kringen or something? Yeah, but he was in the garden all along. Herman then leans over to further trick the audience, only to be chased off conveniently by a dog. So it's just, it's, it's constantly just tricking the audience as well. So then we get a transition of time kind of scene. Yeah. Where we get Von Neiman's servant, who reports evidence that Herman had Martha's crucifix. And um, that is some evidence that he did kill Martha because, you know, he had the crucifix. And the crucifix was on her dead body. So, and... Also, Gussie then drinks a concoction just straight out of a chemistry class, just frothing with bubbles. Yeah, it's supposed to help your stomach or something. Or... Honestly, I would not even trust myself to look at something just frothing like that. That is probably not safe to consume. A anything to prevent diseases, I guess, is what she was thinking. There is something called Alka-Seltzer that has foaming bubbles in it, and it's actually good to calm your stomach down but this was just like foaming so you also mentioned uh the servant of dr neiman his name is emil and and he's uh played by uh was it robert was his name robert graves is that his name but uh he he was a uh, he played uh beaumont in uh white zombie That's right why his face is very very recognizable um but he's a, he's an important character in this then we get to a very, very good scene where an angry mob with bloodhounds chase Herman through the countryside and into a cave. And something we'll note here, at least for our version, they tinted the torches red. Just the one thing. So I was like, ooh, a splash of color. Because yeah. we've been in the black and white zone for a while. I mean, they can do color, but they decide not to. So... Just that splash of color, I was just so surprised. I was like, oh, right, they can do this. So, and they've been able to do this for a while. C color did not come, you know, did not become the norm until later, uh, later in this decade and early in the 40s. Yeah, when we get to the 60s, it was just completely superimposed. Well, the, the I'd say probably when you're the, the, the place where you're really going to see a color just constantly is probably going to be like uh, the 50s 50 56 57 somewhere around in there and on but then do consider you know you got some alfred hitchcock films that were in the 60s that were black and white kind of clinging on to the previous age so technically 60s they did it for artistic reasons so um you know just it's best just to watch a movie and see 
why they did what they did rather than wonder why it wasn't in color. Yeah, apparently there's also a movie called The Lighthouse that came out pretty recently. I think it was like... A couple years ago. Yeah, a couple years ago, like 2016 or something. And that was in black and white as well. They filmed it in in a, in a older style of black and white that works really well for the limited uh, limited light, I should say, that they had. Plus, they filmed it in an aspect ratio which is more uh, square, so that they could really control what you look at. Now, I you know if if you wanted to see, I could show you uh, a scene. Uh, I can't. It's there's a lot more adults content in it, but uh, there's a scene that you could see. Uh, with an actor you probably recognize. That would be an example of such? Yes. All so right. if you're curious, I'll show you. So that night, Dr. Von Neiman is seen telepathically controlling his servant as he picks up the sleeping servant, Georgiana, and takes her into the lab, where we see an enormous pulsating multicellular organism in a tank. It seems that Dr. Von Neiman is the villain for this story. Yeah, it looks like, uh, it looks kind of like... Uh, a weird uh, coral-looking organ in my mind. I, 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 I don't know what you saw. After all... Oh, wait, sorry. Um, Herman is dead. <laughs> Just forgot. Herman died by yeeting himself off a cliff uh, in a cave out of desperation. He was cornered. Addendum self-mortis. Addendum mortis, indeed. Yes. He was desperate to get away, and he was cornered, so he had no choice, sadly. They don't think he's dead, though. They kind of, they, we know, we know, I think, you and I. We know he's dead, but they took a little while to discover it. Yeah, so so it still keeps it open that he might be the vampire, like like he lived through that. Of course he lived but through that. But with this reveal, we do get that there's sinister motivations their sinister actions from Dr. Von Neiman. So yes. they drain her blood into a vial to then be pulled into the multicellular organism. So and that this is uh this is pre-code. Did you notice the blood? This is yes. pre-code. This is pre-code. I it, it was probably fake blood. They literally probably of course get it was. that much blood. But, but still. if you show, if you show blood though, that's good enough for for code. I guess. So for them to not like that, but there is wasn't a code yet. So hey, Bring it on. Next scene. Neiman, Carl, Ruth, and Gussie are all chatting about various things, about the vampires, about whatever Gussie thinks her disease is, more stuff like that, as they head off the bed, when Gussie then discovers Georgiana's body in her bed, and Mueller's crucifix is on the floor. And then Dr. Von Neiman and Carl then realize that she has died, and that it was probably a vampire, and that Herman had handled the crucifix last night. Carl is becoming even more convinced of the presence of vampires in the village, as it couldn't be anything else. It, it couldn't be anything else. It couldn't be, I don't know, spontaneous rabies? It couldn't be, <laughs> right. it couldn't be you know, death by she snipped, snipped, snipped a paper clip and then bled out until she died or something. That's a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> That's a stretch, but who knows? They could be like, it's a paperclip. The paperclip killer would probably be the best mystery novel in the whole world. Do you think that they are sh- making you think that Carl is is kind of doubting his own scientific explanation, even as we are shown that it's probably he's, – he was probably correct the whole time in thinking that it wasn't supernatural? But he start leaning towards supernatural because a lot of his solutions are – or his thoughts are not coming to fruition. 
or his you know his uh, his possible things he possible think it could be. It's not. I don't know, but we but we're finding out he he was right all along. That's that's the key. That's the key. So to so the two conclude that Herman is the guilty one. But then the Burgermeister comes and he gives the news of Herman's death. So they're back at square one, sadly. But they ask to give Herman a good burial, for which the Burgermeister leaves to go do. Yeah, and also uh, in in my old readings of vampire lore, you know, when I was, you know, when I've nerded out about that, uh, supposedly one of the reasons why you should give someone a Christian burial or a proper religious funeral rite is because that they would rise again uh, as, as the undead. Because they weren't properly killed. That's well, the, that's the one thing is that with vampires you have to kill them properly. Yeah, not only do you stake, you know, and they mentioned that earlier in the story that the burgomeister is telling uh, Carl. They talk about staking a stake through the heart and and chopping off the head with a shovel. Yes, specifically yes. a shovel, I guess. Well, I mean, you're you're burying him with the shovel, and it's a sharp object, so. There you go. Who knows? I mean, your fingernails are a sharp object, kind of. So, well, uh, cut off his head with your fingernails. Yeah, uh, I don't think they have enough time. Yes, they would not have enough. Okay. That would take forever. That that's kind of gross. Anyway, let's that let's too. get back to the plot. So, Carl then broils the question of who would want blood after all in his head, and he's just absolutely steaming in his head, and it's just like, how on earth could it be? Who would even want it and stuff? And he then he then asks Neiman how much blood that there would be in a human, and then Neiman suspiciously replies six liters, and that he has absolutely no idea what to make use of it, and that's really sus, as we know. Yes, but what but what makes Carl? I mean, honestly, Doctor Neiman is a scientist. He probably to- know. He'd be able to rattle off a fact like he knows how many liters of blood are in a human body. I mean, there's some people who are really big on facts like that. But it depends on, you know, the size of the human. So this is like the, the average human, or like, how do you calculate that? You'd have to slaughter multiple people in order to get an average, am I right? So No, no, I mean, it's you'd have to average it based upon, you know, a couple different things. And then you'd have to just kind of uh, give a good estimate. So Carl then says these intense to comb the place inside and out, to which Dr. Von Neumann says, No, Carl, you're really agitated. You should probably go home, take two sleeping pills, and call me in the morning. Oh, you mean poison? <laughs> you mean poison? Yeah, they're, it's poison. He literally slaps a big green skull, or not green, it's it's not in color. You get what it I mean. It says poison, like, and then it has a label across it saying sleeping pills. It's, like, No, it's underneath of it, so you can still see poison, and it's just like... I know, ah. I know. They did that for our benefit, you know that. And but, but anybody with any brain, they would read this and go, oh, this looks super suspicious. This label's peeling right off of it. Oh, it says poison. Maybe you're trying to poison me. All you have to do is peel it away and it becomes essence of llama. This isn't poison. This is extract of llama. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Exactly. It's not poison. It's essence of llama anyway. Yes. So so he gives him a couple pills of essence of llama and I'm pretty sure he doesn't take it. He does not take them yet. Instead, he no, he takes a smoke. He takes a nice little smoke and looks out the window. 
all calm and peaceful like before hopping out into bed obviously not putting out his cigar which is dangerous again but they didn't show it so he easily could have so then we get to the mind controlled borscht borscht who's the name of the servant who is being telepathically you controlled you mean you mean you mean Emil Borscht. Okay, you're calling him Borscht like that, like the beet food, like the food made out of beets uh, in Russia. I guess so. Okay, how, that's how you. That's how I remember his name. So that that that's fine. Hey, go with it. So honestly, we don't get an explanation for how on earth this telepathic mind control works, or even why and how it's done. It's just like, oh, he's just mind-controlling a henchman to do his bidding and, you know, climb up onto the roof and then sneak around to his window like he's going to do. Yeah, he's he's giving him uh, orders and, and commands in real time as if he can see them too. It's so, kind of like you went, okay, everyone thinks it's vampires, which is, you know, superstition. Superstition. You know, it's a non-real belief, but... Because vampires don't really exist. But then we get, you know, a grounded... The real villain is doing real science and, like, real stuff and, like... And then we get... There is superstition with the villain. There is, you know, non-fact. So it's kind of like a... You kind of go like a, oh, right, this is a grounded setting. And you're like, nope. It's not a grounded setting at all. Well, it's as much a grounded setting as Frankenstein is with, you know, feeding an, a dead organ blood and it coming back to life, which... Yes, Rick, but telepathy is not real. No, I, I agree, I agree. So here's the thing. I think if they had shown... Now, this this way that they did is more dramatic. I get it. But if they had shown uh, von Neiman, like, using, uh, you know, hypnosis... You know, and mesmerism, like real psychology techniques, it would it would lend credence to the science uh, being accurate because people have been hypnotized before. But this way that it's doing is it's like real time. He's he's like he's FaceTiming him. He's Skyping him real time, telling him what to do. So we get the previously mentioned Borst who attempts to sneak into the second story window. He then sneaks closer to Carl's sleeping form when Ruth overhears Dr. Von Neiman giving instructions. So Ruth then realizes his plan to use the blood to feed his organism. And so she's like, oh, you have evil intentions. So she saw him vent. Yes. So then when she goes to report the body, he then sees her and then kills her or not. In Among Us, you would kill somebody. I guess she got sabotaged. I think he gra- he he grabs her. In he short, grabs her. he grabs her and he ties her up and gags her in his lab after a very Frankenstein speech. You're the one. What mad thing are you doing? Mad? Is one who has sold the secret of life to be considered mad? Life created in the laboratory. No mere crystalline growth, but tissue, living, growing tissue. Life that moves, pulsates. And demands food for its continued growth. <laughs> you shudder in horror. So did I the first time. But what are a few lies be weighed in the balance against the achievement of biological science? Think of it. I have lifted the veil. I have created life. Wrested the secret of life from life. Now do you understand? For the lives of those who have gone before, I have created life. 
Yes, yes. It, it, it's almost out of Frankenstein. I will tell you this. When we watch these movies, I want you to watch where bad guys grab women's arms. Because they grab them by the wrist or there's a place right above their elbow. It's called the universal grab area. And if, if a bad guy grabs a woman there, she just like she's helpless. That's what the, you know, if, if it was a real fighter of a woman, she would scratch at his eyes. She'd, she'd punch his nose. She'd chop she, his throat. She wouldn't go down without a fight. I mean like Michelle Yeoh. I mean like, you know, uh, Anita Mui. I mean like real fighting. We will have to watch something with her in it later. But anyway, the point is, she would fight. But the I know I know that this is just a lab assistant or a, a scientist in her own right. But you don't think that she would like struggle. But but again, this is for the movie's sake. So for the movie's sake, she's just sitting there watching them um, insert miscellaneous chemicals into a tank with an eyedropper. And it's just like, why don't you just give me the eyedropper so I can cleanse my eyes of this mess? I yeah, guess. exactly. I don't, I, I don't want to see anybody's face again. Wow. Okay, that's 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 really dark. Anyway, um, wow, so much darkness. No parents. Gee Louise. <laughs> like, yeah, this is vampire Lego Batman, I guess. All right. So anyway, as you were saying, as I was saying, we then get Borst. He's entering. He's in like a trench coat and he's entering with carl's body on a trolley and so he slots him in right next to von neiman so von neiman pulls off the sheet off the body only it's borst and then carl then pulls off his coat and it was actually a swap yeah that was a, that was a nice that little was f- really kind of a useless plan i know i liked it though it, it i a disguise was good but why put him on the platter i mean it's it's a way to shock the doctor i think uh i i honestly i liked it i was like oh you you sneaky guy and uh and i like that he that he kind of looks like the shadow there's a uh a famous uh pulp comic uh radio hero known as the shadow he always wears like uh, this trench, black trench coat, big, wide-brimmed hat, and a... Kind of like if you've watched Spider, Spider-Man Spider Into the Spider-Verse, you know the noir Spider-Man? Kind yes, of like that. So, very much. Then we're down to the wire, and Dr. Von Neiman, who's seen Carl, um, Carl then pulls a gun on him, and then he unties Ruth, walking slowly toward her while holding the gun at his at his self. So then Dr. Von Neiman then wrestles Carl, trying to get the gun away and to, you know, wrestle him for wrestling's sake. So Borst then gets the gun from Carl, and he shoots Dr. Von Neiman off-screen before shooting himself off-screen as well. We're at the end of the movie, guys. It's... It was a pretty good movie. So then we get this last scene. Yeah, uh, I I don't know what... uh putting Epsom salts in your body is supposed to do. It makes it look like she either has to go throw up, use the bathroom uh, of one or two. Let's put it that way. Uh, I don't know what she has to do, but they kind of have a little laugh at her expense. Uh, like, like we, like, like we've said before, it's the, uh, anyone have a match, uh, you know, kind of scene at the, at the very end, you know, the scene. And it's just like, you know, it, it's a very simple thing. You know, Gussie comes to Carl. She's excited. She's found a cure. But then she says the chemical formula, walks away, and it's revealed to be Epsom salts as Gussie hits the head 
And that's how the movie ends. Yep. And and honestly, you know, a lot of these, like I said, a lot of these movies you have that a lot of times in horror movies uh, that I've seen, people are la- screaming as much as they are laughing because there's a buildup of tension and the release of tension is generally in a chuckle or laugh. It's uh, just like you get to go on with your own day. Yes, even if it's a nervous laugh. So It's like when it's like in a TV show and it's just like they go on a big errand only to realize that they already had the resources or something. And it's just like, oh, hey, I already got the milk. <laughs> it's just like... Right. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, exactly. Or uh, famously at the end of every almost every Rescue Rangers episode, there's always a little joke or a little you know thing and they're just sitting there laughing at the joke for like what a, what feels like a minute and it's just, and then the credits roll. Yeah. It's 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 very cheesy but uh it does have a mouse in it with the loves cheese. So So this was a movie that we did. <laughs> I also accidentally summed it up a little too much. No, I th- I th- I think you did fine. Now, I would recommend this movie. I feel like it was pretty great. It was kind of up there with like, you know, at least the mummy at least the I would, mummy. Well, I would say the mummy is higher up there than that because you can't beat Karloff. Yes, you can't beat Universal, but you can get close enough. That, you know, hey, wait, you know what? That that honestly that sums up this whole movie. You can't beat Universal, but you can get close enough. Ladies and gentlemen, the Vampire Bat. That's that. That's there is no better review I think that you can give in like one sentence. Yeah. Um, but honestly, I've seen uh, other movies that that I've seen one other movie that Robert Strayer has done after this, and it looked a little bit. It looked like the Monster Walks with a slightly bit bigger budget and better set, and it did not look like this movie at all. So honestly, I have to I have to say that what elevated it not only was the actors, of course, but. The, the location. The, the location. Don't forget the location. Yeah, these, they had good places. These are these are some uh, some interior sets from the old dark house and some outer uh, sets from Frankenstein, leased from James Whale. So not only did they uh, kind of borrow some thematic material from other uh, Universal movies like Dracula and Frankenstein, but they also borrowed from the sets too. As well. Did you know that people still rent out the Universal lot to do stuff with? I think what? it's still there today enough that you could literally go visit some sets. Uh, that's um, amazing. Obviously not the ones that were built because those were probably crumbled down. Yeah, there's a, a Universal lot that you can go beyond. There, and rent there out. is, and the, and a lot of these sets for these uh, movies, they they rebuilt them because they you know they crumble a lot, you know, and and things happen to them over the years. You have to kind of. Uh, you're you're doing more recreation than anything. Yeah, just like they did with Kenobi. So yeah, recreating, re recreating this stuff. Whatever. That was a terrible transition. So no, that was. Fine. I just wanted to say that you know, five out of ten, you can like it. It's I kind of liked it for some things. It was overall that now it's now it's all out is pretty good. I liked it a little bit. I just hope it'll get better. Uh, yes, I will. I will tell you. I will tell you this: of the next movies that we're doing, uh, all of them are pretty, pretty good. Some of them are great. Uh, maybe one of them might. I won't say which one, but one of them might not be as good as you might guess. But most of them are really great. So 
and honestly, you know, they're very memorable. Um, the next one that we are on the docket to do is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Nineteen we thirty-one. We're back. Nineteen thirty-one. We're backtracking a little bit because uh, I found a good copy of it, and also I, w- I rewatched it and thought, hey, you know, this is this is too good not to let uh, William get a peek at this. Um, it stars Frederick March as uh, Dr. Dr. Jekyll, as as it's supposed to be pronounced, and Mr. Hyde as well. He does do a double duty as as both these characters. And um, then after that. We are going to get to King Kong, which is oh my be goodness, awesome! Because it's, it's the it's, it's the King Kong. After it's the all. it's it's penultimate. It's a penul it's it's a penultimate movie. Uh, every movie that you see after this, you're going to be looking at certain elements yeah, of it. Yeah, this is the climax of the monkey obsession of the 1930s. Though there was still there was there's more monkey obsession to still go. But yeah, we we've got some ape uh, movies to come. Uh, we've got some Mighty Joe Young. We've got some of uh, Son of Co- Son of Kong, which is a direct sequel right after King Kong, uh, taking advantage of that sweet King Kong bucks that money. Uh, and then also a another small little movie, a uh, very Universal esque movie. It's a uh, The Invisible Man, and that's the I think the last one that we'll leave this the season with. Um, me and Will, me and William are discussing if we're going to do some uh, some bonus episodes in, uh, as you wait for the next season to come along. Uh, we will talk about that uh, and see. And we'll, we'll, I'll tell you what, we'll surprise you with what we choose. Uh, we won't say what we'll do now, but whatever we do, it's going to be really good, and it won't necessarily follow the chronological pattern that we're doing here. But it definitely will, it will have a kind of a theme to it. Uh, so to speak, uh, and uh, I'm going to put it to a vote between me and William. We'll talk about this uh, during the break time in between seasons. All right, so another thing is that by the time you're listening to this episode, I will most likely be at summer camp. It'll be really awesome, and I will return um, definitely in the next episode, but it'll definitely be a little wait. But yeah... Um, I'm really excited for summer camp, and um, it's an it, it's a great honor to be able to go. We've got some awesome summer activities to do. So, yeah. So, are you saying that uh, that the schedule might be a little a little strange uh, coming up, uh, or or it may be a little bit of a delay uh, as we get uh, the next ep- uh, one of the one of the next episodes produced? Yeah. But if you be patient with us. Uh, and uh, you'll definitely have some great stuff upcoming. I'm very much looking forward to doing the bonus episodes as well as the new movies that we have for you in season two. So uh, uh, don't miss it. And keep keep those uh, keep those five star reviews going. If you can find us on Apple Podcasts and you really enjoy what we're doing, you know, just drop us a line. Uh, you know, give us four, four or five stars if you feel that you want to. We appreciate it. And just tell us uh, what you liked about it. You don't have to say much. Just a little bit is very sweet and nice. Also, we do want to have you email us at cinefanpod at gmail.com. Uh, we would love to hear from you there. Plus, uh, we have a Facebook page. My goodness. You're you're getting all the stuff out. We already put this at the end. Oh, we put that at the end. I forgot. But you okay, know what? You it never hurts. It off with... A random poem about vampire bats. You want to hear it? Oh, 
it's kind of like a children's thing. And I did not, I did not know you were going to do this, and so I'm absolutely. I am doing this impromptu as well. So do it. Go. This one's called the the tale of Hereda and Mixie. I'll just read the first paragraph. It's not about vampire bats. It just has one line that says vampire bats. So okay. (laughs) Oh, here we go. So Hereda had a mission today, and she took her cat. Can we also take my dog friend and his vampire bat? Sorry, her mother replied, that might scare Grandma, you know. So Hereda and Mixie, her cat, took off through a layer of snow. Aw, that's lovely. Uh, So don't, again, bats scare grandmas, bats scare Aunt Gussie's, bats scare villages. But they do not scare Herman. And they they eat bugs. The bugs that annoy you, they eat them. They eat mosquitoes. Oh, how how great must that be? A bat that eats mosquitoes. I hate mosquitoes. I'm sorry. I know uh, I know that 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 hurts people's feelings that I would hate on an animal, but I, I hate mosquitoes. Uh, thank you to the Not bats. Only all. Thank you to the They're bats blood, out there. Blood sucking animals. Those darn. Sti- oh right, I'm talking about vampire bats. Actually. No, no, <laughs> no. The blood. The, 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 the blood-sucking the, monsters are not the, the vampire are, bats. Exactly. You get it. Now you get it. Okay, let's 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 end it on a pretty high note. And um also that Kenobi was kind of mediocre five out of ten. Anyway, let's Yeah. Let's end. See you see you in the next one. Don't forget to open your third eye and telepathically message us at cinefanpod at gmail.com. Set your chronoscope dial to the future setting and peruse cinematicfanpodcast.wordpress.com. Hunker over your ham radio as your keen ears listen for the ghostly voices tweeting on our Twitter at cinematicfanta1. Exchange all of your money into Republic credits and donate at our Patreon page at patreon.com slash cinefanpodcast. Ending transmission now.